Hey guys, welcome to episode 236 of the podcast with the uh, dynamite Linda Park. What a gal. I did not know her before this podcast, and I have to say I'm a fast fan. Um, I know her work, but I did not know her personally, and I think she is fantastic. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And shout out wise, I just wanted to quickly shout out Terry and Tiffany for your awesome emails. Um, and uh, I will talk to you guys next time on the podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. I appreciate your, listen, you're a very thoughtful guest. You came right in and <laughs> asked, first you asked if the parking you did was okay, which I'm sure it was. Yeah. In front of someone else's house. In but front of someone else's yeah. house. It's fine. Uh, then you said, should I take my shoes off? Would you like me to like, and then you, uh, and then you said, should I sit on the floor with you? It's just, I mean, I dare I say it, it's that thoughtful. it's kind of an Asian thing. Is it really? <laughs> I find that Asian right people are so polite. Yeah. Like, especially once I started dating um, and I I've dated mostly, I guess I am one of those girls. I've dated mostly Caucasian men, not mm -hmm. because I've specifically searched it out, but I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like Asian men just have never been that into me or, you know, I'm not your typical female Asian, uh -huh. you know? Um, so with my, with my boyfriends who are from Caucasian families, I was, when they would come and visit for the first time, for most of them, I'd have to give them a lesson on etiquette. Okay. Are your parents Just, first generation? Like, are they, are they, they're they from Korea. They're okay. from Korea. All right. And my parents are so overly polite, you know, gifts to everyone's house. When mm. they come, when people are over, they're constantly bringing food and snacks and they're, I mean, and I used to think it was smothering, but now I really appreciate it. And I'm kind of proud of how thoughtful my parents sure. are. And against my own will, it has seeped into my <laughs> into my system. Because yep. I used to be like, "That's stupid," you know. Just be who you are, be you, and don't. And I'm I'm that person now. That happens to everyone, <laughs> I guess. Listen, if you're going to, I'm sure you have thought this yourself, and and probably someone else has said it if you've ever said this before. But like, if you're going to inherit traits, being a v like extremely polite is probably not <laughs> it's the probably worst. better than being <laughs> a liar exactly. or <laughs> you can hear it like i don't harm anyone i don't it's just i'm very i polite. don't have a crack problem exactly yeah. um do you find that that's true with other asian friends of yours that you have met like are their parents especially if you're first generation you know if you're all first generation american if there's a sort of like through line there a hundred percent yeah i found that um, and I found that even with um, my Asian friends who, like me, grew up here and, like me, inherited, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, this um, this level of, uh, like, thoughtfulness, but also unspoken rules of hospitality. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I find there's this thing that, um, my sister does that's so Korean, but Koreans all fight or Asians all fight to pay the bill, mm. you know? 
And if you don't even attempt to make the fight, or you better don't be reaching even, for that pocketbook. Pocketbook? Yeah. Where am I from the fifties? You, you better be reaching yeah. for that wallet. <laughs> pocketbook. Wow, impressive. You look like you're from the fifties. I'm, impre- I'm impressed. I'll take it. I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. I think. Um, I mean, you hear about that sort of taking different forms in a sense. Um, I'm thinking about some of my Asian friends who uh, have talked about. I was even going to look up her website so I could make a reference to it, but I can't find it off yet. About um, Asians of well, yeah, and of and probably some of these folks. You know, some of the girls that I know, especially in the business, you probably have that wonderful benefit of all auditioning for similar things, so you'll sort of run into each yeah. other as if you can't just audition for like, well, it's getting better. Right. But the sort of like, Oh, I can just be a person. This isn't me. I don't need to be Asian. It's not in the breakdown that like, Oh, this person's meticulous. Therefore we're going to cast an Asian woman or very, you know what I mean? Did you feel like you see that changing? Yeah, I see that changing a lot. And I have um, been very fortunate to have played a lot of roles that were written for, um, quote unquote, open ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And I've um, very proudly kind of wore that, that, that badge of honor. And, and again, like mm-hmm. how Asian guys, when I was growing up, never really wanted to date me. I never got the Asian quote unquote parts. Um, the show that I did after Star Trek was this show on NBC that was just on for one season called Reigns with Jeff Goldblum. And when they were initially uh, looking for the part of Lance, who I played, um, they were looking for a white surfer dude. Oh, wow. Wow. That's so cool. And and so, and so then they were like, oh, this isn't working. Let's try some different things. And I remember it was during that crazy part of pilot season where everybody's scrambling and in offices late. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I went in really late, uh, to casting and she sat with me and she read the, and you know, I think I was probably the gazillionth session she had because I was the only person there, and it was something like seven thirty at yeah, night or something. I mean, that is a sad moment for those of you who are like, <laughs> as are most of you, it's a sad moment when you're like, God, it's dark. It's just night, and yeah, I'm coming it's back night from time. This. And, you know, and and so I went in, and this is this has never happened to me. It's the only time this ever happened to me. But she gave me the script. She's like, Have you read the the script? And I said. I said, no, I just, I just literally got like the sides this morning and now here I'm at, you know, with you and she's like, go home and take the script, read it. And, um, I, you know, I got the part and what I loved secondly, not only that I got the part of a white surfer, amazing, but that they gave me a female first name, thankfully Michelle, but my last name was still Lance. That's great. They didn't change it to Michelle Hong or Michelle Liu. It was Michelle Lance. Right. And you know, they referred to my ethnicity in maybe once in the entire season um, when I say that I am Korean, but it was never, it was never a a point of this is the character's backstory. It's just like, um, I'm five, six. I, you know, it was just another just basic fact. And, yeah. And, and I see that changing a lot now in, um, in kind of the diversity trend that's going on, which is a fabulous thing, but it also now kind of, um, is 
the the diversity pockets in a show when they go they're looking to go diverse on these roles and it says open ethnicity right but they have an idea this person's going to be latin asian you know african-american um listen much better when that than when i started i was one of the few asian actresses out there in when there would be Asian roles, um, I knew the other, I knew the 10 other girls and right. it was the same girls. Yeah. And now yeah. I see girls that I don't know all the time, all these new Asian actresses. I mean, you know, I see the oldies, but goodies with me all the time. And we're always like way too loud in <laughs> yeah. the audition room. Yeah. And, we're, you know, and, and there's such a, Are the, let me ask you about two of them. Cause I've known both of them to yeah. be in town for quite a long time as well. But Joy Osmansky. Yeah. Adore, and then her. Lynn Chen is actually who I was thinking of before. I don't know if you know, Lynn, um, don't know Lynn joy, uh, joy for the longest time. People would say, Oh my gosh, has anyone told you you and Joy Osamansky could be sisters? Interesting. And I don't see I it. I don't see it either. I don't see it at all. <laughs> I don't see it at all, but you're, you're both beautiful women. You're a very open-minded white person. I just can't. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just a lot of people, maybe it was something about our essences or the way we talk yeah. or something. I mean, I, 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 can, I would say... I think what I thought you were going to say, to be honest with you, was like, oh, you guys would get along so well. Like, uh, <laughs> you go to the place of you look at each other. I just thought like, oh, that would make sense because you, because you're, you do have like a very similar warmth and like yeah, a twinkle yeah. in your eye. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I can't say that I think you look like. Well, but. I just finally, like, I finally went up to her when I saw her name on a sheet somewhere and I said, hi, are you Joy? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I know you're Linda, right? And I say, everyone keeps saying that, you know, we could be sisters or doppelgangers. Yeah. And both of us kind of shook our head. And <laughs> we're like, no. But yeah. anyways, and so, um, I mean, she's so awesome and so talented. And, and there's all these other Asian actresses out there. I love me some Deborah Craig, Angela Lin. Um, my cousin is a very successful Asian actress. Do you go up against like Susie Nakamura at all? She's a bit older and she's like way comedy. Like, she's way comedy. Yeah. Um, I don't actually, I think, I think possibly we tested each other against each other. I think it was her when I did women's murder club, I was testing against only one other girl yeah. and I feel like it was Susie, but I didn't know her at the time Yeah, because she was much more of a character person this person yeah. um but she was directed by uh, a dear friend and director of mine robin larson um so you know it's it's la and you know this mm-hmm. it's so small it's you such a small it's so funny how small that world really is and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. and um where there would the theater worlds are starting to overlap with the TV and film worlds where people I know from theater, we have mutual friends in film and television and back and forth. And it's just, I think it's so lovely. It makes me so happy. Um, And like, wouldn't it be great to get to the point where every role is open ethnicity. So it's not like, okay, well this, this, cause my experience, and by the way, I've many, many times lost a role and the person who's been cast has been of a different Ethnic. ethnicity than me. Yeah. I've never been like, oh, that's not fair. Like I've, uh, I've yeah. always been like, to be honest with you, and yeah. I feel all of my female friends of different races feel this way. It's like, yeah. I would much rather have somebody who doesn't look anything like me get the part because yeah, then I absolutely don't take it personally. Um, but, you know, it would just be great to have it be like, 
anyone can be anything like the sidekick doesn't have to be this ethnicity and the lead doesn't have to be this ethnicity and it's like let's like when we're in a place where we are representing people well enough and adequately Mm -hmm. enough the way we always should have been to where it really is about like who who's the best person for the job because we know we've fixed that but I feel yeah. like we're a long way from that, to be honest. We with you. are a long way from if that. If we're still making those pockets, it's like progress. We'll take yeah. it. But if things are still existing in those pockets, like you're talking about, it's like, well, we're kind of still aware that it's, yeah. well, we checked this box here. We checked this box here. You know what I mean? It's 100%. Um, yeah, I will take any progress. And I've seen so much in the, you know, in, in the many years that I've been in LA and been working. Um, but there is this thing where every role does say open to all ethnicities, but when you see at the end of the day, how things break down, um, the number ones, the leads are very rarely ever, ever, ever open to all ethnicities. Now the trend is after Shonda Rhimes made it successful with scandal to have a female African-American lead as in a show. And then that led a whole like domino effect of sleepy hollow then had the, you know, African-American female and how to get away with murder. But now this season, there's all these other pilots that have cast African-American women as leads. And here's the thing is that, the powers that be are only swayed by the money, by a show being a hit. They, everyone is so scared to be the first. You have to be someone like Shonda Rhimes who did Grey's, who, who knew she had to work her way Mm -hmm. up to the point where she could put an African-American woman as number one. I bet you if she could, she would have done that with Grey's. She would have put the African-American woman as, um, you know, as great as I'm, I'm blinking on that actress. Carrie name. Washington. No. In, oh, oh, as in, great as oh, like a Ellen Pompeo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've yeah. never seen it, but she is the person I see the picture associated with most. Right, so I assume right. that she's the lead. That's yeah. She's 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 the lead, <laughs> yeah. and had um, had Shonda Rhimes had the opportunity to do it, she would have made that character African American. But she's smart. She's a businesswoman. Um, as well as a, as an artist, so she knows what she had to do to lay the groundwork down. And what I really want to see is I want to see an Asian male or an Asian woman be the number one on a show. You, you had John Cho, who on Selfie was a lead, but really Selfie was about her. It's called Selfie. It's about her kind of Eliza Doolittle, and he played second to her, even though he had... Uh, way more mm-hmm. credit mm-hmm. than that actress had had. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, sadly, that show was canceled to have, which was a big leap for Asian men. Um, even though he played kind of a dorky, uh, nerdy guy, he was the romantic interest of yeah. um, of this white woman. And it yeah. was fantastic. And they had great chemistry and, and all of that. But... I, mean, I don't care. I would love it for me to be me, but it can be me. It could be my cousin. It could be Angela. It could be Joy. It could be, yeah. you know, Deborah. It could be all these amazing actresses out there. I would say probably the person closest to being able to do that right now is Jamie Chung mm-hmm. because she's got the film stuff going on. She's got this um, certain level of of having... Um, 
uh, having some uh, visibility where it, it could be, but it's just it's just that next barrier to get through where um, you know Asian Asian is no longer correlated with these stereotypical either being nerdy or dragon lady or kind of asexual right i think there's not as there's there's not as much sort of just like it's either this it's either and you by the way by the way if i make like any inadvertently racist comments (laughs) out of ignorance i am all about getting corrected but i feel like the other thing that we see is and by the way this also is a podcast about your teenage years i've spent like the entire time talking about the business which isn't really usually what i do but i'm interested (laughs) um but i don't you feel like it's like you there's a there's either a lack of sexuality or the sexuality of of the woman and it's very specific to her being asian or to like there's there's a sort of like it's about the fetishizing yeah the fetishizing i mean lucy Liu was a great example that character of you know um of that kind of dragon i guess that's what i mean by the dragon lady that like sexualized um asian asian woman yeah and opposed to just like I'm a person. Yeah. I am attracted to some people. I'm not attracted to some people. Yeah. I am I am a sexual person. I'm just a per like, you know what I'm saying? And I feel so lucky to have played roles that were really, you know, um, and sadly none of those shows got the visibility where people could see that. But, you know, like I said, and, and that's a big testament to um to Graham Yost, who who also does Justified, who yeah. did Reigns, yeah. who not only let me keep um just an an American last name without any explanation, but let me be a full fleshed human being, an American citizen in all the colors that contained, but also, um, on the show crash that I did on stars, you know, with Dennis Hopper, the character was Chinese, but we never talked about it. She was great. That was the last name, but we never, you know, um, one time, because I have a tattoo, they decided to like make it a Chinese character mm-hmm. and just incorporate it into it. But um, there was no, it was about um, a woman who was an alcoholic and a children's story writer, but you know, in a horrible marriage and unhappy and unhappy with her life and self destructive. And none of that was explained away by some horrible Asian upbringing or anything, you know, it was just like, just a person human with, yeah. And, um, no kind of, uh, no kind of going to these old Chinese sayings and, you know, it was, it was none of that. And I, and so I feel really, um, really proud of the projects that I've been a part of for the most part that have strayed from the stereotype. But listen, I know when I have, when it's happening, uh-huh. I'm a hundred percent aware right. I'm getting paid and I'm trying to the best of my ability, um, infuse it probably with, with some, yeah. Well, yeah. With a real sense of, truth to say how can I relate to this woman talking about what the Asian culture has done to her because yeah the Asian culture like we started this whole podcast talking about like my whole inheritance of politeness and also I want to go back to seeing what your parents thought of it which is you becoming you know an actress and it 
across the board, people, some parents are super into it and some parents are horrified when their kids say that they want to go into the arts because not from a place of like disrespect or uh, disdain, sometimes that, but also just from like a fierce protection of whether you're Asian, white, black, Mm -hmm. Indian, whatever, um, of like, oh God, why would you do that to yourself? Or like, that's not a real job. Mm -hmm. You know, I want you to have this success that I didn't have or whatever. How did your parents respond? My parents uh, were aghast. They were, (laughs) they're like a hell no. I mean, and it it came from um, wanting to protect. Yeah. And also. That's most common, right? Yeah. And I think it's, and it's a very, and I think it's, it's very, uh, particular in my case to my parents um, being immigrants. And so that could be being an immigrant from Nigeria, from uh, Korea, from Mexico. Well, my bla- I just, I'm, I'm like, this sounds familiar. And I just realized my, my last guest, uh, Julia Rozzi, her parents are uh, Italian immigrants, both of them. Mm-hmm. And they were aghast. They were like, no, oh God, no. Why would you do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, I think that... I think. I hope I'm not misspeaking, but yeah. Yeah, I think a huge part of of an immigrant story is that for the most part, unless you're an immigrant coming over with lots of money, the reason to come to this new country is to make a better life for your child than you had yourself. And when, um, my parents, well, I came here with my mom. My mom left my dad for a spell when I was young because we were just so, uh, we were so poor. We were in a bad way in Korea Mm. and she had grown up so poor and suffered her her childhood with that and just said, hell no, my child is not having this. And my grandma and my aunt already lived in um, the Bay Area in Milpitas. So my mom left my dad with me and I grew up in this tiny little apartment with my grandma, my aunt and my mom. And so my mom's mission was to have me have a better life specifically financially than yeah. she did. So then when I decide, <laughs> you know, and this was something that, um, I never actually really decided. I don't know how I found it, but I found this community theater. Um, I did the first, my first play there called the phantom, well, the phantom toll booth. Oh, sure. When I was, um, when I was like eight years old or something. And I have no memory of how I found it. Um, Like my friend who's also in the show, her parents had to carpool me to rehearsal because my mom was working at a cafeteria, Mm. um, cooking food at the cafeteria and she didn't want me to do it. And so these, this like this, this parents of my friend drove me back and forth to rehearsal. And then when my mom couldn't take me, like the director would have to come to my house and pick me up. And so it was like, I was, I was, you know, a flower growing in concrete. I was like, I'm going to make this happen. And, um, she and I fought about it all the time. Like I would find these, um, in these, in these magazines, these open calls for actors you know, it was, it was like a Barbizon. I so remember those, like even before it was something that I, it was like something I thought other people did, but I would look longingly at those things and I be like, this real. could be, that could, could have be been my chance. shot. Yeah. And I would tear these out and I would just like cry and cry to my mother. And she, she was like, there's no way it's happening. It's no way it's happening. And we, did she have an idea in her mind? Like even 
of just sort of what she thought maybe your profession could be. Oh, she thought she, well, she told me that I'd be a really good lawyer because I argued well. Uh And so that was what she just, she wanted me to be one of those, the doctor, lawyer, that kind of, you know, that profession, um, of that many Asian parents in my generation wanted their children to be because I guess they had it in their mind that that's how you succeed in America. And that's what Asians would be accepted as doctors Mm -hmm. and lawyers. Mm -hmm. And her big thing to me was it's impossible for you to become an actress in America. You're Asian. Like no one's going to, and she meant it to protect me. Right. Um, but that was her reality. She's, she could see her daughter walking into, um, a hopeless future of, because when I was growing up, it was even worse. There was only Joan Chen, I think around on twin peaks and Uh there was nobody else. (laughs) It was like crickets, Uh, you know? And, and so my mom really thought I was crazy. And, um, but I, I persisted. I had this, I grew up an only child. I grew up really stubborn. I grew up bullied and I just had the, my, my kind of genetic makeup was not to, um, to, uh, cower when faced with opposition, but that I, that made me even angrier and mm. made me fight even harder. I find that people react differently to yeah. that. And you hear I was a giver uppers. And I and think I've changed as I've gotten older because so I've gotten yeah. more comfortable. But yeah, I was definitely like, this hurts. Like if, yeah. if it hurt, I wanted as far away from that feeling as possible. My cousin's the same way. It took her so long mm. to come back to acting and come, and she had to get over so much insecurity and so much debilitating shyness. And she's an incredible actress now. But it took her so long to come around to it because... Um, she, she, it, it wasn't cowering to it. I mean, you grew up with, you know, it, it, it was, it was so hurtful to her that she just hid. And for me, it, um, it completely fueled me. I, you know, I, I do thrive as an underdog. And so I feel like sometimes I seek out those scenarios even in a, even in a process of rehearsal in a play or on a TV show, I find myself that I've, um, somehow found my brain saying, Oh, you're the underdog for X, Y, and Z. And then that makes me push creatively. That's great. And then I started to realize my pattern to yeah. say, Oh, I always hit this crisis of, I think everyone hates me and I'm the underdog that makes me go fuck them all. I'm going to like, it's me and me on my own. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I found, I've realized now finally after many, many years that so that when it starts to happen and those emotions of insecurity and resentment and kind of fight start to come in and go, oh, this is part of my process. Like, thank you. Thank you for kicking in. I know what to do yeah. with you. Yeah. It's not their fault. They don't hate, you know, it's not, don't, t- it's, it's not, don't take it personally. This is part of how, I give birth to a project or to, you know, my, my character. And so when my mom did this, it just, I kept doing, I kept doing theater. I kept doing everything going and I was a horrible student, so I didn't get good grades. That was my next question was like, it was it in, it was it in the face of also other things? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, my 
parents and I fought so When did your much. dad end up coming over? He ended up coming over when I was in kindergarten and asking for a, a second chance. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really meet my dad till I was already um, a thinking in, you know, walking, talking person. Yeah. And um, I remember getting a phone call and or my mom getting a phone call and she saying, talk to your dad. And the strange, I think it was in my memory, it's the first time I had ever heard a man's voice because I grew up in this apartment full of women. Yeah. And he was telling me he was going to come to America. And, and this was all in Korean because I didn't even speak English that well yet. Um, and I started screaming and crying. I had nightmares about wow. like a wow. man coming and like, this is really intense, but like raping my mom. Oh, wow. And yeah, coming, because it was just so it was in- inconceivable that he had that connection with your mom when you had never seen it or experienced it at all. I just, I had this, yeah. and, I, and I had this crazy, hmm. and it was this crazy fear that I had, I think that was probably um, based on the fact that I was told much later, my mom, um, when we first came to America, she worked at one of those computer chip factories mm. uh, that now turned out a lot of those women, they're mostly... Um, Asian women, uh, had caused, um, like cancer and all these things because of the fumes from the chips. Um, and Mm. you know, there's so many different immigrant stories of the kind of work that, you know, women do and that you find out later how Mm. dangerous, how dangerous it was. And so, um, she would come back from work and there was a bus stop across the street from our apartment and I guess there's this guy that had been watching her for a while and thought she lived by herself and followed her up to the apartment and knocked on the door. And we had one of those chain links. And uh, my mom went to open the door because um, she asked, who is it? And he said, you, you have to open the door for me. It's an emergency. He, he, she opened the door and he started busting in on the door. And then I guess my grandma and my aunt woke up and they started screaming and he ran away and the neighbors came and the police came that night. And I don't remember any of this, but on some level I must have um, remembered it. Cause then when my father called and it was the first mm-hmm. male voice mm-hmm. that I had, I had spoken to, I had these nightmares and I was terrified of him. Um, and then he came and he was, he was very nice. And I don't, I don't remember what those first years really, um, except that, except we lived in a tiny studio apartment. Um, were you still close by to your grandma and your aunt? Yeah. Yeah. We were really close by and my grandma babysat me all the time. And, um, my aunt too, um, which by babysat means they sat me in front of soap operas. <laughs> So I grew up on Santa Barbara, uh, Days of Our Lives, yeah. and you know, as yeah. the world turns. Um, but it was, it was, it was just an experience that that my parents came so through so much struggle, and they wanted me. And I'm an only child; they wanted me to succeed, and so I understood. I understood what um, their you know, their hesitations were and everything. And, and it's so interesting. I'm doing a play now. I'm doing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Nice. 
And LA Weekly wrote this beautiful article. Um, I'm the first Asian American Maggie in a professional production of Cat. Congratulations! Thank you it's so wonderful. much. It's very it exciting. Is it is um, it is the dream role of my life that I never thought I would play because I was Asian. Um, Tennessee Williams, and, and the interesting thing is how I found the play, kind of tie it into my high school years is when I was in high school, I watched this movie with Sandra Oh called Double Happiness. Hmm. Do you know it? Yeah, I do. And it was the first time that I saw, um, like, that wasn't uh, Last Emperor, an Asian woman in a movie. I mean, it was an indie, but it it was like me. She was Korean. Her parents didn't want her to be an actress. And and I, I and I was just like, it's possible. It's possible. Somebody else is doing it too. And um, she had these scenes where she would go into her bedroom, and they had a theatrical device where stage lights would come on, and she would do Maggie the Cat speeches. And I went out in search of this play because these speeches um, just spoke to me so much. And I read. Um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, all in one sitting at 15, and I just bawled. Mm-hmm. I just bawled. I understood Maggie so deeply and Tennessee Williams. Um, one of my favorite quotes of his is that we humans, and this is paraphrasing, we humans are stuck within, our souls are stuck within the cages of our bodies, and art is how we cry out from one cage to another. Mm-hmm. And gorgeous. He, uh, so gorgeous, right? And he understood my just deep sense of loneliness, not as an only child, but as an immigrant, as um, a troubled teen. I had a lot of I had a lot of issues in school, um, and that the way that love um, hurts. Then no matter how much we love people, we can't always seem to communicate. We can't always seem to love purely. That love is a very, very complicated, oftentimes hurtful thing. Mm, that vulnerability. Yeah. That then translates to fear or anger or yeah, yeah. closing off and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it was... It was the first time that I'd had the experience that now I've had a lot where I've felt that a piece of art has put into words my deepest feelings. And um, so I would just, and I auditioned for all my drama schools with Maggie. I always used Maggie in any acting class or in college because I felt like for educational purposes was the only way that I could get to do Maggie. Yeah. Ah, it's so great that you're going to get to do it. (laughs) And so I... um, you know, I had this whole, I had this whole um, secret love of Williams, and I went on to Streetcar and Summer and Smoke, and and read, you know, all his short stories, and um, just fell deeper, deeper in love with him. And read his biography, Tom, and but I always felt like it was a secret love that had to be in me in my bedroom, and um, uh, and I felt that I was basically told societally that this doesn't belong to you. Mm. It's not your story. Mm. Um, you get the themes, you understand the themes, but um, it doesn't belong to you. And 
So fast forward to um, uh, the theater company I'm part of, which I'm so proud of. Do you know the Antaeus Theater yeah, Company? Yeah. So yes. Oh yeah. So we have even more people in common. I'm sure from we that. know a yeah. zillion people. Yeah. Um, and so you know we've built our new beautiful theater in Glendale. We raised three million dollars out of the passion of the community who yeah. support us and love us to build this beautiful new home for ourselves. And the inaugural production was going to be Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And then I found out it was with a director, Cameron Watson, who I had done an, a multi-ethnic version of All My Sons with many years ago right. um, that won an NAACP award. And I thought, holy shit, if ever I am going to be able yes. to play Maggie. Oh my God, the pressure. This is going to be But that's it. exactly right for you. Like if that were me and all of that had <laughs> totally. led up to that, I would have been like, I'm not even auditioning. It's going <laughs> to totally. crush my soul when I don't get it. And you were like, totally. Oh, I, I was like, mother. I was like, I was like, I just, and I fought so hard for that bad boy. Like everybody and every female in the sure. theater community came out for Maggie. And, and so very early on, um, you know, in Maggie's words, I put my hat in the ring and I, and I said to Cam, I was like, would you be open to Maggie being Asian? And he was like, yeah, he's like, I would be open to it. You know, it would have to be very specific. I don't think it can be a colorblind casting kind of situation. And I could, and I really knew he was open to it, but he just didn't see how that could really, what that really looked like. I don't think he even knew yet. And then I went to all the artistic directors and I spoke to them too and then Julia Fletcher, who now plays one of the big mamas, said, you know, I saw this great production at Ashland of Maggie, who was um, Mexican. And I thought, yes, Maggie's Makes the sense. outsider. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. the one who's fighting to stay in the family. Yeah. Why can, Maggie can very feasibly be Asian American. And then I had to figure out how does an Asian American woman fit into the Mississippi Delta in 1950s? Whew. You know, and yeah. I started Googling everywhere, like Asian American Maggie Cannon Hot Tin Roof. Nothing, not, <laughs> nothing. And I was like, oh, Just crickets, yeah. crickets, you yeah. know, basically like my childhood flashback, yeah. you know, yeah. that there's only me. No one else is out there <laughs> until I saw Sandra O. Oh, you know, and then and I thought, you know what? No, I can be my own Sandra O. Oh. I can be my own first. I don't need to validate me playing this by having an example before myself. So I started doing all this research um, to see what Asians were around in the 1950s. And then this totally blew my effing mind. And now it's the spine of my Maggie entirely is that in the 1950s, there was a huge population of Chinese in the Mississippi Delta. They were known as the third race. Oh, wow. And I read this book called... Who knew? Not me? No. Yeah. And nobody, and nobody, except for the Chinese who many generations, they, there's this book, it's fantastic, it's called Chopsticks in the Land of Cotton mm. that follows all the stories of these Chinese American families and basically the Chinese coolies all came over in the late 1800s um, to the South, uh, for, to do labor when, you know, um, like basically paid slave labor. And then they ended up staying and building families and bringing their families over to the, by the time you got into the 1950s and they had gotten the exclusion act had been eradicated. They started to become kind of like how other immigrants, like 
Jewish, Polish, mm-hmm, Irish, mm-hmm. started to become valued members of the society where they started to run the grocery stores and almost all the grocery stores, the really good ones were run by Chinese. Interesting. And there was this amazing picture of this little girl. Her name is June and um, it's her first day at Oakhurst Elementary School in 1945 which was an all-white elementary school. And her parents were affluential, well-to-do grocery store chain uh, chain store, store owners. And they fought for many years to get her into the school because of Jim Crow segregation. It was black or white school. And they didn't want to send their child. And so she got into the all-white school. And so now there started to be this precedent mm. of... Asian children from the well-to-do families going to the white schools in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And as I started to find this, you know, I came up then with my own backstory for Maggie, but, and, and then, and then as we're in rehearsal and the whole, my cast knows what my backstory is and, and we never say it out loud, but the, what makes me so happy is the people who've come to see it and who have read the article, they go, it makes so much sense. Yeah. I get like, of course, Maggie's whole struggle, her fight, her, her basic imposter syndrome that immigrants Mm -hmm. have just to have a piece of land Mm -hmm. to feel like I belong to someone. Mm -hmm. I belong when she says, who are you into the mirror? To me, it's like, where the fuck do I belong? Yeah. I mean, God, well, I mean, yeah, God, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's yeah. a, that's not even like before right now, and I'm not proud of this, but if you yeah. had said like, anyway, so what, what do you, when you think about Mississippi in the fifties, what would you say? Yeah. I would have been like segregation, the yeah. plight of the African-American against the white person. You'd be like, yeah. what about other races? I would have looked at you and gone, oh shit, I don't yeah. know. I and don't know how that all, fa- I don't know how other ethnicities felt this, fared in felt such a destructive way. world. And it's, there's, there's another great book I was reading, Asian Americans in Dixie. And it talks about how people have this schism in their head when they think Asian Americans and the deep South, they think of Asian Americans and modern day globalization and the deep South as part of like old America. And they can't, they can't, um, make those two things, um, come together in their heads when in fact, that these immigrants from China and Asia have been coming. I mean, we know in California, we know all about the Japanese, you know, there, we know everything that happened there, but that it was throughout America. And that when we have these stories of the 1950s, the stories get told of like the help or hidden figures. When do you see an Asian person, even in the background, when do you see, and these families were there for generations. Um, around the 1960s, um, uh, all the Chinese Americans started to leave the South and, and go to different parts. So that there aren't the big communities that there were in the 1950s. But I want to see that TV show and miniseries. I do too. You know, I keep envisioning like, I, I keep envisioning what that, what that, that very tense world of black, white, and Chinese. Was. I, I, I think you need to pitch it, right? I mean, I, I mean, I have, yeah. I have like a premise in my head yeah. that I want to take around to people, you know, like a, and, and it's, and it's the crazy thing for me, um, in feeling such an intense ownership of Maggie now in a way, I'm so glad I found it. This research as late as I did because it, it's so fresh 
and my ownership of her is so intense. Um, everything, her struggle of like, of being a cat on a hot tin roof, of being born poor, raised poor, expecting to die poor, of having nothing, um, is so infused with my mother's struggle. Mm. You know, yeah. Um, my Maggie is is half half. My Maggie is half Chinese and half. You know, yeah. It, just to make just to make the whole the reality of of her story um, true, but it's it's something I feel in a way is like an offering to those Chinese um, in the Delta who never had their stories told to say through my Maggie, maybe I'm telling somebody's story um, that has gone untold in O'Neill, in you know, in Miller, in Horton Foote, and you know, all these wonderful playwrights, um, you know, in Inge. They were all around during that time. They, they, they were living lives. They were having families. They were having heartbreaks. They were Americans. Many people, Chinese who were in the Delta at that time, their families had been there since the late 1800s. So it's not like they were immigrants. They were Americans. Yeah. And so, especially in the time that we are now and, you know, when the Trump ban happened, I was hit in the gut in a way that I didn't expect to be hit. Um, that really makes me feel the importance of retelling these quote unquote American stories honestly and with a wider lens, with a wider perspective to be inclusive of all the other American stories that we haven't been telling from the 1950s or the 1940s or the 1930s, um, there were people other than opium den owners and, you know, railroad launderers, <laughs> launderers um, yeah. that, that were full-fleshed, you know, human beings that were in um, interracial relationships mm. that were, um, there's a great documentary called Mississippi Triangle that was about the Chinese in Mississippi in 1950s, but it inadvertently ended up being about this half Chinese and half, um, half black woman who was pushed out of like the Chinese at, at this time it was a split between the Chinese who aligned themselves with the blacks. And there were a lot of black Chinese, um, interracial mm. marriages. Mm. And then the Chinese who aligned themselves with the whites. And there are all these interesting, amazing, heartbreaking stories that, um, are quote unquote period pieces that people think, Oh, Asians can't be in, in the help yeah. or in the, I'm sorry, but in, in the real version, they were around, they mm -hmm. were, they were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm just so excited. To be I, able to I, talk I, I'm so excited for way. you. I can't wait to see it. Yes. Did it just open? Do. Yeah. We just opened. We've been sold out every weekend. So Great. Oh, we've been open two weekends. I'm sure I've 
gotten i'm so behind in like actually looking at the folder of like whose mailing list i'm on yeah yeah that I, I probably got a notice about it because i'm definitely on the antaeus uh mailing list i just have been out of yeah. town and sort of not looked at it yet but well I um, should, that's very I mean, exciting but your press we should totally comp you get you oh there. there you go well i'm happy to pay for a ticket <laughs> uh to support antaeus but um so w- when you talk about pursuing those those every opportunity um, in high school, when you had that you know wonderful high school angst, that yeah. that hormonal angst that we all have, on yeah. top of which you had some other mitigating different circumstances than yeah. maybe a typical teenager, whatever that even means. But um, is that so? That is that where were you given the opportunity to have and use that as your outlet in any way to your satisfaction when you were a teenager or was that part of what was so frustrating was that you wanted to and it was their doors weren't opening to you yeah I luckily um had that and I think I would have ended up in (laughs) probably a very bad situation otherwise I um we were we're really uh, struggling with money until, um, about eighth grade. Um, I got into a lot of fights. Mm. I, yeah. Who were the bullies that were being shitty? Well, I mean, when I was younger, it was a lot of race stuff, but it was in between races. It was like, you know, there was in the Bay area, there are many different races, Mm -hmm. But it would be like black kids calling Asian kids chinks and Asian kids calling, you know, it's just like it was back and forth. It was because I now looking back, it was um, it was like learning by seeing you see white kids doing this to you. You're going to do it to some Asian kid or you're going to do it to some Latino kid, you know, and it was um it was so normal, which is so scary to me. I had this boy in junior high that whenever I walked into a room, I'm, I'm, I know I still remember his name. I don't know if I should say his name. That's up to you. Steven Udotch. <laughs> and he used to, whenever I would walk in, into a room, he'd be like, Oh, it's getting really nippy in here. Good you know, God. And he just would call me the worst oh, names. Jesus. He was a very, very popular boy in school. Um, I had to go to an anger management um, class on my free period because I got into so many fights and I was with because then, then again, there's that underdog who's fighting back where some yeah. of us would just sort of curl up into a corner. <laughs> it was appropriately called It's a Mad, Mad World oh, wow. run by the art teacher. <laughs> who, so a little bit of a wink to, uh, somehow. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. So, um, and we would have to sit there and like do, you know, acronyms of our names and write nice things. Like Linda would be like, lovely, intelligent, Uh nice, Uh daring, you know, (laughs) and we'd have to talk about why we're so angry and why we got into so many fights. And Steven, Steven's girlfriend at the time told some heinous stories about like being pushed downstairs, like horrible, horrible things. So, and what I knew about his home life, what he would t- you know say offhanded, he didn't have a very good home life yeah. either. So cycle of abuse, everybody. Yeah, and I went to a, a school where there was a lot of like gang violence, and it was a time where Blood and the Crips were really big, and so the threat was always um, 
you better watch out. My cousin is a crip. You better, you know, and it was like people wearing red kerchiefs or blue. And there's always a fight somewhere after school to go watch. And I was part of those fights many times. You had to, if people were saying shit about you, you had to stick up for yourself. Otherwise you would keep getting, um, like said shit about. So you would have to go up to the person who said whatever to you. A lot of neck rolling was involved. (laughs) A lot of like snapping of fingers, you know, and then usually it would end with like one of the people saying, meet me at Murphy park at 3 PM. And so then you would meet at Murphy park at 3 PM and there'd be a huge crowd gathered and you just first, you know, a little foreplay, a little shit talking. Right. (laughs) Until finally someone threw the first punch, the first whatever. And then, of course, it would always be some neighbor would see and call the school and the school would come get us and we'd have to sit in. And I got into enough of these and suspended enough from school that they really told my parents, like, um, after I was suspended from winter ball um, for scratching this little kid's face, not little kid, he was my age. Right. Um, But um, that, you know, if that they didn't watch out that I could, I had enough, um, like demerits or to get sent to juvie. And my parents just had no idea what to do with me. Um, and so at that time, my dad finally started to make money. Um, he was a crazy entrepreneur that would get into anything from selling fanny pack, fanny packs to animal backpacks. <laughs> he was just like the crazy professor, <sighs> except as an entrepreneur. Right. He had like a new scheme that mm-hmm. our downstairs was filled with boxes and boxes. Uh-huh. Of, <laughs> I've had a couple of friends of parents like that. Yeah. And he'd constantly yeah. make me um, design logos for a new uh, product that he had, you know, like, I don't know. Like he had the weirdest things, but finally he got into led lights and, um, it lined up with the tech boom, the Silicon Valley and the Samsung. And we went from eating round table pizza and shopping at like Payless to suddenly my dad could buy a Mercedes. And then my mom, God, he must've been so smug. (laughs) be able to be like i told you something was gonna work out yeah, like, i yeah. almost wish this hadn't come true i know now it seems i know like you were the smart one. Oh my ah, gosh i mean and he and my mom had to have payback from all working at the chip sure. factory to the well the yeah cafeteria i mean she went on a shopping bender and bought like you know three cars it was but the great thing about that is they sent me to an all-girls private high school catholic and um I hated at first the, the sisters like would pull me by my ear because I was used to talking back in class right, and right. being a smart ass. And it's just, that's just Completely not okay different environment, at yeah. Notre Dame high school, uh-huh. especially with sister Marianne. And, um, but what I discovered there was really my feminist self because an all girls school, but very progressive. Like I was always bad at school, but really good at English. And I ended up in AP English and just, um, started to really go deeper into my love of theater. And, and, and while I was there, um, I did a lot of theater and I built a black box theater with, um, this, I got involved with San Jose Rep, which is a big regional theater in the Bay Area. And one of the directors that I had worked with there 
um, I asked if he would come to my high school and just teach for one year and build up our drama program. And together we built a black box theater. We used to do it in the cafeteria, yeah. the theater productions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was really cheesy and tacky. But then when he was there, we had the attic space in this creepy old mansion that was connected to our school. Oh my gosh. Which was where the students used to live because the school oh, had been around right. yeah. since the late 1800s. What a great, yeah, what a great setting for anything. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. We really thought it was haunted, but we built a, a legit black box up there and I directed Agnes of God. And, Amazing. You that's know, a, yeah, that's of great. course, at an all girls Catholic school. Yeah. And, um, and, and I just, and, it was only by, and even my time in junior high when I was in all those fights and I was still doing rainbow theater at that time while I was like, I had two double lives. I was a total like Asian chola at school <laughs> and then I was doing meet me in St. Louis, That's amazing. <laughs> you know? Ah. Um, and then it was, but literally I always, I am, I don't know if I'm religious, but I definitely believe in a higher power and being a presence that is looking after me. And I always um, say thank you for acting because I don't know where I would be if I hadn't had that outlet. Um, you know, I... I think that's why arts education is so I important. I couldn't agree more. I think so it's such important. a lifesaver, sometimes literally. Yeah, and I've you not besides myself, like Anteus does a program with Aguilar for incarcerated youth, young mm. men, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we teach them Shakespeare. We teach them how to write. We teach them about the healing ability that art has to express all the pain and yeah. poison inside your body so it doesn't kill you yeah. or kill somebody else yeah. and to see what these boys come up with it just constantly reminds me fundamentally the importance for this for arts for human beings for souls couldn't agree more couldn't agree more. I, I, now I'm like, and now you'll be running for office. <laughs> I have all these big plans for you. Oh, wow. I look forward to, uh, you winning your Oscar and then becoming president of the United States. I'll let you just like, <laughs> campaign for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I'm, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's the kind of experience that is undeniable. It's not, you know, it's, it's, that's empirical evidence that it had that those programs are so vitally important. And mm -hmm. I so appreciate you communicating that and being a part of an organization like Anteus. And, you know, I love young storytellers mm -hmm. and art things like art share and, uh, anything that puts that stuff in the hands of kids who wouldn't necessarily get a chance to express themselves. Otherwise feels yeah. like I, I Obviously, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Of course, physical health is incredibly important too. Yeah. <clears throat> but you can't say that like testing to a test, a math test is going to help our kids in the future without all of these other components that make it to the feed the soul. Exactly what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Feed, I mean, feeding their soul and feeding some of um, the most important qualities in us as individuals that are sadly overlooked, such as compassion, empathy, right? man. 
empathy of being Which is able the, to har- the scare it's such a scary element of what's going on right now so, in leadership and is, is it's so like scary. oh it's oh our days of empathy are gone which i don't believe that i think it's a pendulum and i think that yeah. unfortunately we're seeing something ra- that's a ra- my hope is that it's a radical opposition to the inevitability of, of what where we're of going where we've come and that is this yeah. a last gasp it's always darkest before the dawn moment of 100%. like no 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 we don't want mm-hmm. this it's too late guys yeah we're past that I Sorry, agree 100%. but shut the fuck up. You know what I yeah. mean? But that that feeling of how, how what what example are we setting for not our, people of every age, but you know yeah. certainly kids. I don't want uh, them to look at people in, in leadership capacity and go, "Oh, this is how I get it done." I bully and I yeah. accuse and I don't take responsibility for anything and I don't relate to anyone yeah. who, who hasn't had my exact experience and probably not even that. Well, it's thankfully tough. we're in an, in an age of where children and kids and teens get most of their information through social media. Um, you know, kind of the, the, the zeitgeist right now is Trump is a clown. And there, of course, there are, there are those people that still, despite everything that's continuing to just roll out every day, um, that there are those who still staunchly stick next to him, but those are the last gaspers. I hope so too. Because when really I say do. our leadership, I'm not saying speaking of the Republican Party. I'm that's not a place I've usually aligned myself. Yeah. But I absolutely don't believe that the majority of people in office feel the way he projects feeling. I don't believe that. No. I think there are people who have different opinions than mine, and maybe a very different idea of how to get it done. Yeah. And I understand that, and that those are conversations that I always want to have. And I. I'm, I've been convinced about things I thought I didn't agree with. Yeah. Uh, I've, I, I have had people say, well, I think this program, which is not very liberal or is this actually shows that it's done better work. I'm like, great, let's just get the work done. Like if you can prove to me that this, yeah. that a state should have this power and not the government, like I'm open to it all, yeah. but I need to know that you care. And that's, yes. that's, that's where the line's been drawn. I think is like, I don't want to, f- I can't. I don't know who can feel like he has a heart. I mean, and, <laughs> but and just uh, well, and just yeah. fundamentally, fundamentally, he, his worldview, is a worldview that cannot produce any productivity, good progress. I, I don't think that you can be a person with a messed up worldview and do good things. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. If we stumble onto some things that end up being good, despite yeah. what happens, I, I'm, I, I think I'm past the point. Like I definitely was like, maybe I'll be able to like, just say like, good for you, buddy. I hate everything else about you, but you got no. this done. I'm past that now. Now no, I'm like, no. I'm not giving you credit for anything. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. And, and if any, the good thing about him has been, though, he has been a, a huge wake up call yeah. to complacency. Democracy turns out is something you have to fight for. Yes. And it is something that you have to. It's a muscle that has to be used and worked out and it can't be flaccid like it can't be stagnant you know it can't be something that we take for granted it has to be something that we were informed and engaged on otherwise it's not democracy 
And I think and I agree with you. Yeah. And I think that like also in the sense that we had gotten to this place with reality TV and kind of just, you know, idiocracy coming to reality in our life that, um, kind of pop culture and America gave birth to what it's been producing. Yeah. It feels like it does in that way. It does feel like only here. Yeah. And, be <laughs> only like, here. and, and we had to see in the mirror, look, look what we've been creating. Look what we have been valuing. Mm. Look where we have been putting, um, our future in the Jersey shore, in the print, you know, in, in the, in the smearing and the, and we all have to realize that's not who we are. That's not, this is an opportunity for us to, um, hit a rock bottom so that we could like, it, you know, yeah. in the words of come back to God, like yeah. let's, yeah. And I don't want, and I, I think there's something really beautiful about like, I think, you know, you're essentially what you're saying is like, we all have to take responsibility for this, whether we voted for him or not. And yeah. I think that's, that's a feeling that I held and that was so shattering about what happened. And then we'll go to the smash game. Cause I've kept you here forever <laughs> yeah. in this dungeon of my podcast. <laughs> but, um, is that feeling of like, my intention is not for anyone to feel left behind. My intention is not for any class, race, gender. I don't want anyone to feel left out or to yeah. feel threatened. I don't want, if that's how lower middle class, you know, American, white Americans feel, we got to figure out how to have a different conversation because that's not what's going on. And yeah. so that, that is another part of it. It isn't just like, fuck you, everybody who thinks, you know, you're, that you're, you're right because you're not. I, yeah. I don't, I mean, I guess that is like super bleeding heart of me, but I don't believe like some, we have to be able to communicate with the people that made, that actually yeah. made this happen. I mean, it's and a go true like, thing. we're not your enemy and you're not ours. So we got to figure this out. Yeah. I, I, uh, and that's something that took me a while to get back to, um, after the initial rage of how Absolutely. could Absolutely. you, and then it was a wake up call for me to look at the other and show compassion to the other and say, people are out of work. Yeah. I think the coal industry is heinous. It's, it's, it's horrible for the environment. It's horrible for people. They shouldn't be in that industry. But I have a luxury of saying that's not where my family life, that's not where my training is. That's not where my, so what we need to look at is how can we care for each other and ourselves? How can we give these people, um, you know, new skills, new jobs, not just say it, but really if, if this industry that so much of America has been built on is a dying industry, um, how can we train these people for the new industries and not just, um, give all these jobs like young, you know, and, and I think that's a really important thing that we need to learn is how to take care of each other. Um, cause if you look in terms of the other, no matter who you are, you'll always find an other, the other can be, um, the other can be, Oh, the other is man. Oh, the other is anyone who's not, um, Asian, anyone who's not white. Oh no. The other is anyone who's not Christian. Oh, the other is mm -hmm. anyone who's not an actor yeah. where you get to everybody's the other, except you, anyone in any group can find a reason to make the other person absolutely. another. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I, and I agree with you. And I think, 
you know, the we're past the point of because like where my rage went when this happened was like, are you fucking kidding me? Go to a black ghetto and tell me that you don't have it better than yeah. these folks who have not had control of their lives and history yeah. in this country for a really long time. It's past that for them. Like they're like, I don't, I can't. It's their fault. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. we see ourselves as victims, and we see everyone else who's fallen on hard times as it being their fault. Yeah, and so until. Like, I feel like we have to have a place for everyone in this country except haters. Because if, you, if you're if you in a place where some, you feel that you're disadvantaged, mm-hmm. but you look at another community who is also disadvantaged and you blame it on them, mm-hmm. you ain't going to get anywhere. Yep. And like that. So that is very difficult for me because yeah. we have a long way to go <laughs> in so many different ways. We and the, we don't have time. I feel that sense of like, we don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Listen, this, I, we'll do a palate cleanser by doing this match game. So we'll <laughs> leave know. on an excited note. Um, okay. So the first category I'm going to do, and you're going to give me three of each category. Okay. I know you know this game. Okay. Uh, and then in the end, you know, we'll sort of end up with your, uh, with your mash future. Oh, your I love this future. game so much. And I need to know where you got that notepad after. Oh, uh, it was made for me. <gasps> um, my, my fans who became friends, Victoria and Jules, uh, very early on when I started doing mash, um, had these pads made for me. Oh they designed them had them made for me. Yeah, I'm having great? girlfriends over tonight. I think we're going to play MASH. Uh, let me go you ahead and just... give you some of these sheets. Oh, yes. yes, um, yes. That's a, my gift to you Yay. for a very fun afternoon. Um, <laughs> okay, so my first category for you is going to be um, three roles mm-hmm. uh, that it would be, that in this universe, it would be amazing to play regardless of gender, age, anything like that. We've got our Maggie taken care of. So mm. now three other roles uh, could be from a play or could be from a film. Just a role that you're like, God, that's so juicy. I would love to sink my teeth into it mm. with no restrictions okay. i'm gonna put this one out in the universe because i could do it um do it absolutely um it's annie baker's play john okay um then uh the next role i am going to say and it could be a a, a movie yeah. or anything absolutely from any time period from any time period and has already been made uh yeah because we'll do like uh we can do like a future surfing version of some of this stuff like like a a future so this is like a pre this this category is like a pre-existing thing you know of that um you would like to have the opportunity to have either done or have done uh, to to do all right um i would love at some point in my life um to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Great. Um, and then, lastly, I have a secret wish to be um, in one of the Marvel movies. I oh, would great. love to be a oh, superhero. Yeah, absolutely. So Come some on. kind of really cool superhero. Great. That's great. Okay. Love it. Okay, next category is uh, let's do time travel. Let's do yeah. you have the opportunity to in a sort of bubble of safety so that you're not going to get any diseases, nor will you be lynched, nor any of the other sort of negative parts of the idea of like, oh, I probably would have just gotten smallpox and died. Yeah. Safety bubble. Um, places and times in history that you get a chance to just kind of dip a toe into and actually see as they're happening and be a part of in some way. Okay. Um Definitely, I would say Bohemian Paris, like in the 1890s. Love it. 
Um, and then I would say these all kind of a, then I would say like the roaring thirties, like F Scott's Fitzgerald. Right. Um, and then I would say like, uh, I would probably say I'd be very curious about Egypt in, in, the height of Egypt pyramids yeah. and yeah, because that's like a fairy tale to me. Do you know what I mean? It's so removed. I, I mean, like I, it's so removed from my understanding, <laughs> like my true understanding of where humans were and how they evolved. It almost is like a, a story. Like yeah. when I see artifacts, there's a part of my brain that is like disconnected from reality. That's like, Oh, look at these movie props or something like there's something that's yeah. disconnected from reality to me. And I haven't been there. So I don't, you know, I can't and it's ground also it. a time where there was like, I mean, hygienically it was pretty, when I see all those dioramas yeah. of Egypt life, yeah, I mean they had their shit had together their in yeah, terms going of on. in bathing themselves. Yeah. And there's, of course, I would want to like you know be hanging out with Cleopatra and probably not? not one of the slaves. Why not? <laughs> I mean, yes, this is you. You get to control your experience <laughs> of what this is. Yeah, <laughs> no one's going to make you do otherwise. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, uh, next one is three people. Uh, living or dead, that it would be great to have as a mentor, right? So you can call them on the phone, magically appear in front of them. They're excited to see you and you guys can chat about whatever and hang out. But they also are the kind of person that you love to get advice from. Okay. Um, yeah, that's different from artists that I admire, but who are crazy. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Okay. Well said. Um, Rilke. Great. Um... I would say Thomas Merton and a teacher that I love. You know, I, I'm going to say it's, this is, everyone probably says this, but Einstein. Oh, sure. And no, he's been, I think he's been said before, but. Um, there, there are like some that recur Oprah being very high on the list. <laughs> I'm going to say, I understand. Uh, she's a force of nature. Um, okay, great. No, but that's great. Um, okay. Next category is, uh, <laughs> my perennial favorite. Got to get it in here. Three foods that in our world mm -hmm. are bad for you, are you're allergic to, are negative in some way, but they are the foods that you're like, God, I wish I could eat that every day, all day long, with mm, no ramifications. Yeah. That's this, three. Oh, I know right away. Cheese. <laughs> I'm, I'm so dairy intolerant. It's yeah. not even funny, but I love cheese so much. I so sad. When I'm in France, it's just like, I just deal and suffer usually by... By day three, I'm in pain and I just physically can't go on anymore. <laughs> but those first I can't three days. Have, I, um, I can't have gluten. And so I, even the European. Yeah, uh, and yeah. so um, I just make people, like I actually put myself as close to it as possible as I can. Like I've so pushed past like being angry smell. and now I'm like, let me have mm, smell sex with your describe, describe what, what does it taste like? Yeah. No, I think um, I I am gluten as well. Yeah. Um, I... I have an autoimmune thing, so I'm not allergic to it, but because of my autoimmune, Same. I have lupus. What do you have? Uh, thyroid, Hashimoto. Ah, we're sisters That's in right. the autoimmune <laughs> land. Uh, we understand Amazing. each other well. Okay, so is gluten going to make an appearance um, on this list? But specifically yeah. is croissants. Yeah. Oh, God. 
I'm, I mean, the other stuff, bread, pizza. They figured pa- out pretty well or, yeah, you know, I don't really much. miss yeah. it, but oh, those croissants. I really yeah. miss like, oh, especially in Paris. I when, know, fresh baked, the oh, smell, the it's taste, like just the flaky, like warm. Dissolves in your mouth, like mm-hmm. that butter and salt. Yeah. Oh, God. Agreed. All right. What's number three? Balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> Agreed. Um, I guess because those are like the things that I can't, um, it's, it would be, incarnations mm-hmm. like of those yeah. um it would be really really good uh like gourmet truffle mac and cheese oh yeah absolutely not yep. shitty but like you know those with five fancy mm-hmm. cheeses where you're like this is like seven meals in one somehow yeah. even though it's macaroni and cheese why am i tasting every flavor it's very umami yeah 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 exactly i get it i definitely get it okay let's just let's we got to get this out of the way because this is a classic mash uh three uh uh romantic partner or sexy times could be like someone that you're like kind of along the lines of the crazy artist thing where you're like I don't want to spend my life with them I do <laughs> want to have sex with them crazy yeah. night yeah uh so three uh, that fall into one of those categories okay and so, it could be a real person or it could be like a character in something if you're like honestly oh. I'm not so much with Brad Pitt and blah 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 but the care but the character he plays I do you know what I mean but like Rochester from Jane Eyre <laughs> yeah yeah um, you could throw him right in there um let's say let's say okay Joel Kinnaman great um uh, 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 did you uh, know he wasn't American when you started watching yeah, I yeah I didn't, and I when I found out that he wasn't, like I was Dan- like, "Are you fucking kidding isn't me?" Isn't he Danish? Or- yeah, he's in because isn't he? He was from the original one, so he's Swedish, or he might be Swedish. Maybe he, he's Danish. Yeah, he's yeah. He's one of he's a Scandi. He's Scandi. Yeah, he's somewhere from from there. Yeah. Um, then I am going to say, um, just right now, who is that guy? Do you guys did you watch that great show, uh, The Night of? Yes. Oh, the the guy, the main yeah. guy, and he's been showing up in so Everyone, much stuff. He's now we were on girls. girls. I forget his name. It's I'm not there with him yet. Ra- I don't remember, uh, but um, I I want to say Ramit Ramit uh, as. Let's just say night of mm-hmm, guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know who that is. Yeah, he was in something else. Where he really is very very versatile. It's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, and adorable. yeah. Great, great pick. Okay, uh, and then final. And then I always do kind of fall for sexy serial killer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understood. Um, Jamie Dornan. Oh, please don't <laughs> get me started on him. Good God. He's pretty beautiful. He is a doll. Oof. And just appropriate. That creepy. might be like a, you're too, you're more attractive as a woman, as a man <laughs> than I am as a woman, but you're also more attractive as a woman than I am as a woman. So I, I saw him one time in New York when he was dating Kira Knightley and I was like, couldn't stop staring at him. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's, I wouldn't be able to contain myself either. Beautiful. No way. Okay. Uh, okay. Next category is three alternate universe kind of careers. So you sort of have yeah. this other uh, thing going on. It could be you found a, you a charity or you have a yeah, cafe yeah. or any of the above. Um, alternate careers is a uh, nutritionist. Right. Um, Alternate career, uh, dancer. Great. And then the last one would be novelist. Wonderful. Okay, great. Um, okay. This is the sort of, um, vacation 
home thing. So it's three places in the world. It'd be great to have a vacation home you could escape to, but you can kind of, uh, you can just transport, transport yourself there. You know, you're not like, mm, don't have to go through the go whole, through the whole like, travel rigmarole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one would be, um, somewhere in the mountains of Japan, like where they have those Japan hot springs. Hells, yeah. Um, another one would be, and this is a vacation house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, well, this is going to be your mansion apartment tracker house, by the way. Oh, but it's, okay. you're giving me the location cause I can't control which one you get. Ah, okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, uh, I am going to say, I'm going to then say somewhere like Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all places I would put on my list for sure. Woohoo! All being two, but. <laughs> and then the last is going to be the South of France. Wonderful. Wonderful. That is a woman who did not waste that category. <laughs> okay. And then final one. Let's do, since you talked about superhero, let's go ahead and do three superpowers and they can be as obscure as, you know, one of the X-Men you never really hear about, or it could be invisibility or it could be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, it could be a superhero. It could even be like a power of your invention that we haven't even like really heard of or thought about. Well, one power I always was obsessed with and I used to love was, remember that show, um, Evie? She would go like this. Oh, yeah. She could stop time. She would freeze time. Yeah. yeah. Out of this world? Out of this, out of this world. Yeah. yeah. Right. Freeze time. Uh, freeze time. Great. Um... Another super uh, power that I would, I think would be great is, is invisibility. Yeah. What do you think you would use that for most? I know my answer. Uh, I think... And it's like the most mundane answer in the world. I think invisibility would mostly not be for um, other people. It would be for myself. Mm-hmm. It would be... Um, if I just wanted to be oftentimes being only, I just want to be left alone sometimes. And I just want to, you know, so I would just become invisible and be left alone. Only child. Also only child. Yeah. Um, I would, I would go, I, I don't want to, I don't want to invade any, I don't want them to be home, uh but I do want to see inside everyone's house. (laughs) I don't need to see them doing anything. I don't want to like see them getting dressed. Like I have no interest in the people. I just love seeing how other people live. But like, I don't want them to be there, but I also don't want right, to break into right, their home. I just right. want to be able to quietly not leave them trace and just look around and be like, oh, this is what like you like, or this is the kind of bedroom you want to sleep in. I or this it, is I the thing, it. you know what I mean? I realized another really awesome thing about being invisible that you could do is you can go to New York and you could see every single play. You really play. could. Like, you and really you could. could save gazillions really of could. dollars. You really you could. could. Yeah, it's funny. It's like I don't have the urge to steal stuff because I'm so aware of like how much yeah, stuff I already have and yeah, don't need. Yeah. It's more just about the experience. It's about now the experience. Like or when I was little, I feel like I would have been like, please, I've robbed so many banks. No. Like I was thinking that way. No. Uh, okay, invisibility. Love it. And what's your final one? Um, my final one would be um, the power of, is it um, telekinesis when you can just move things? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I'd like to just like agreed. Doesn't matter. I doesn't matter how heavy it is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think I would pick that too. Um, these are all great. Okay. And then this is just the little part where I do like, you know, kind of a squiggle thing that determines my eeny meeny process. Yeah, and then so, I say stop. And exactly. Count. So Tell I'm me. starting now. Just tell me when to stop. And stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, I'm going to pause this. Uh, mm -hmm. This will not take me very long, but when I come back, I will reveal your 100% guaranteed fictitious MASH future. Yes. Okay, I'm back. And one of the things that I was going to say about yours is sometimes like I feel like I people are, they struggle to come up with their third thing. And then I always feel bad because I'm like, ugh, did they get something they don't like? But yeah. I feel like... In some cases, you peaked at like, your third I, I, I felt and that there too. Was like a good, I feel that there's no bad answer here. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah. think you're going to be disappointed by anything because I feel you would have been happy with 99% of each category anyway. Yeah. So, okay. Um, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your beautiful mansion in the south of France. Oh, thank Not you. Not bad. Now, I don't know if <laughs> while you're there, that sort of gives you a, a sort of a time and place portal because you are able to uh, spontaneously visit Bohemian Paris of the 1890s uh, as well. Total French theme. Right? You just kind of stay within the country and you have this amazing ability to do that. Uh, I want you to rest assured, I love when this shit works out, <laughs> that within all of these things the fact that you get to be in paris the fact that you, you have a house and a mansion in the south of france unlimited cheese <laughs> zero ramifications oh my god unlimited yes. cheese oh, that's gonna be your autobiography of your time unlimited in france unlimited cheese <laughs> Uh, I want to, and by the way, that does, uh, it's, I'm glad that it doesn't do anything bad to you, that sometimes it makes people's voices a little froggy or it can you know, make people sleepy if they're lactose intolerant. We don't want anything standing in the way of you doing Annie Baker's play, John. Yes. Which you did get. And that's the one that seems like it that's, could be. That could be, I'm putting so it out there in the universe. It's out there, all right. Um, you also uh, spend a little time on the side as a nutritionist. Thank you very much. Helping other I can eat people eat all the, eat cheese. Eat cheese. <laughs> You're assisting other people in their pursuit of eating cheese. Um, fantastic. If you uh, if you want to hang out with uh, an amazing poet and a person also from this sort of different time, but I think blends perfectly into this, uh, rest assured that uh, Rilke is your friend and mentor. And. All of this is so wonderful that I'm actually very relieved that you don't have to worry about it all flying too quickly because you have the ability to freeze time. Yes. Which means the next time you're with Jamie Dornan. Yes. <laughs> you can just freeze time and just stare at him and stare at him and stare at him. And it'll you're a little jealous. And he's in love with you. Yeah. <laughs> so that, my friend, is what we call a successful MASH game. Oh, oh, God, thank you so thank much you for doing so the podcast. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Oh, my gosh. This has been amazing. I feel so inspired. Uh, I feel I feel very inspired. And I'm so excited to see the play. Where else can Yay. people find you online and people who aren't in the city can see you and things and, um, and give, us, give us all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am on Twitter at Real Linda Park and also Instagram at Real Linda Park. Is there and a fake Linda Park? Uh, there was, which is why I joined Twitter mm -hmm. in the first place. Who Forced to. Hey, love to put my head on different bodies. Oh, <laughs> Don't you love my. that? Um, okay, real low to park, great. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about playing mash, mash with my girlfriends right? tonight. Um, and I am on the new season of Bosch, which yeah. comes on April 21st. That's great. Titus Oliver was an early unexpected crush for me, born out of, I guess, Deadwood? Really? But like, he's just one of those people that I, I was like, Deadwood. I don't know why I'm attracted to this man, but I he's guess so I must be. charismatic. He's very talented. He's very yeah. talented, very charismatic. There's just something, there's, there's just it. something about but him. But I, I didn't know if he was ever going to be a leading man. Do you know what I mean? So I'm really glad that he is yeah. because he kept, he would turn up as these sort of very fascinating side characters. So it was very cool when I saw that he got that. I was like, nice leading man. Yeah. And, and it just goes to show like there's really, 
you know, no kind of, I mean, he's a guy, but there's no time limit on when. Yeah. Um, I would say yes. You, Let's. Well, we should take that lesson rather than that another white guy got it. <laughs> yeah, that that you can sort of break it. But for example, like true. has Tracy on Blackish won an yeah. Emmy at the age of forty four, and I yes. love that she said that. Yes, in her speech. Yes, heavens. Um, yes, you just yeah. I'm excited. I'm so excited All to right. join the season. Um, uh, Real Linda Park, guys, you heard it here <laughs> and <laughs> everywhere if you've looked. Uh, and I will talk to you next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.